Hi, I'm Pete Cherokee of Chickie and Pete's in the Philadelphia Soul. And you're listening to the True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Pete Cherokee whipped up the beginnings of his local restaurant empire, Chickie's and Pete's, in the kitchen of his Northeast Philadelphia bar more than 40 years ago. Today, he is just as passionate about growing his business, being a Philadelphian, and, of course, his famous crab fries. In fact, don't even think about double-crossing him when it comes to his signature product. We also talk about his part ownership with the Philadelphia Soul, whether we are in a restaurant bubble, raising the minimum wage, and his tips on being successful on the True Philadelphia podcast right now. I am here with Pete Shiroki. At Chickies and Pete's in Packer Avenue in South Philadelphia, and I'm drinking a cup of coffee sitting here looking at you. Not many O'Donnell's drink coffee <laughs> at Chickie and Pete's. I would be poor if they did. We're going to talk about your restaurant and some of its beginnings, but I also want to talk about the Philadelphia Soul. You're a part owner That's with a team. And as you know, I tried out for the team a couple of weeks ago, and I am proud to say, Pete, that I am still 1,500 on the depth chart. Well, I'm glad to see you survived. It's very difficult, and people don't realize how good these players are. There's some guys think that they can get off the bench, I mean, get off their mom's couch, I should say, and make it to the bench of a professional football team. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't happen. Uh, the quarterback is ripped. The uh, money, the receiver, was just awesome. It was a great experience. So you got involved with the Soul in 2010? Uh, I was involved from inception, but I wasn't an owner. Okay. So um, the way the story went, it was – Guys wanted to come in and speak to me. I didn't know them. His name was uh, Steve Perna, and uh, well, I sort of knew who he was, and Cra- uh, Craig Spencer and John Bon Jovi wanted to talk to me. And I'm like, you know, John Bon Jovi, you know, he's a pretty sure. big star. Rock but, star, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a real rock star. <laughs> and I was, sure. So I, the first two guys meet with me, and then another time John comes in. What they said was they knew how important Chicky and Peach was to the sporting part of Philadelphia and how involved we are with teams. And for them to get off the ground, they felt that Chickie and Pete's would have to be part of it sure. to get the consumers so, and the uh, spectators. So they came to me, and we, um, we spoke, and I was, you know, blown away to meet John Bon Jovi. And these, and these guys were great. Steve Perna, like I said, and Craig Spencer, great guys. And, of course, Ron Jaworski's involved. And I just thought it was something that uh, would work in the city of Philadelphia. Well, you're a businessman, and I'm sure you, I mean, everything you have to look at critically before you do a deal. And this was a league that had to to spend for a year back in 2009 to sort of get the finances going. And so what told you, oh, this was a great business investment? Well, I I never thought it was, I I love football. I love football. My my wife was an Eagles cheerleader. Um, My children have been around football since they were little. I mean, we just, we love football in my house. It's, everything's about the Eagles and the soul. That's all it's about. Um, so what I wanted to do was, I didn't know how sound it would be, but I know John did it. I didn't know how great of an investment it would be, but I was looking at that, at that point, maybe buying into a soccer team or, you know, it just goes with a sports bar. Just fun. You know, and I said, you know, I'm doing okay. Let's, let's try something like that. So I, so I did it. Um, and I'm still involved, and I still love it every time we can play the game. So you're a soul man. 
I am. How do you? How does arena football and the soul remain relevant in a town where you have the Eagles, which are number one, two, and three with a lot of fans? You have the Phillies who recently won a world championship. You have the Sixers with Embiid and Simmons, two huge stars. The Flyers have gritty. Yeah. <laughs> and and Carter Hart, who's a budding you know rookie goaltender. How how as a businessman do you sell the soul to people who had all this? A lack of time, really, for things. Well, you know, it's funny. Football is football. I mean, you look at the, look at the biggest, most watched TV show of the year is going to be the Super Bowl. People love football. Some people just love football. I mean, recently, that AAF just came out, I believe it's called, and their first game on a Saturday um, got more ratings than the NBA games. So people like football. Now, it's a little bit of a different sport indoor, but the people that come out to see us, they are our fans, and, and they love it. And when you, it's to see the joy on their faces, some people can't afford NFL. I mean, my tickets. So you see, I mean, really, it's an alternative, it's an option, and it's more affordable. And it's at a different time of the year. Yeah. So when the season ends for a lot of people, we still have something to look forward to. Now, if, if I could, I wish it was a little shorter into the summer, a little less summertime, because I want to be down the shore. Sure, but now want to be outside. Right, you want to be outside. But when it's real hot out, it's air-conditioned. I mean, it's great. <laughs> when, it's, when it's raining lightning and thunder, you can still go see the soul. What do you think about the future of the league? I know that you're getting a team in Atlantic City. And, and are you worried about the Atlantic City team drawing away some of the fans of the soul? I don't think so because it's an affordable football. Now, we put Albany went into the league last year. They're selling out. I mean, it's, they're doing great up there. The, I think the secondary markets are better markets for arena football because they don't have something else. Sure. They're not now, competing against other pro sports. That's correct. I think the reason for Atlantic City is the betting con- uh, aspect of it. And that's going to be the new thing. You'll be able to bet play-by-play. Is it going to be a pass? Who's it going to go to? Is it going to be completed? Is it going to be a touchdown? And you can bet on your cell phone during the game. And it, it's such an offensive league, lots of offense, that there are going to be more opportunities for betting all sorts of different things. I mean, except for the Super Bowl, that's where the NFL is going. They're, they're scoring more, too. They're making it. Except for the, yeah, the last Super Bowl. Except for the Super Bowl. <laughs> most, most of their high-scoring games, you know? That's people want to see scoring. I mean, I know defense wins Super Bowls and defense this and defense that. But people, they don't want to watch defensive baseball. No, they don't, they don't want, want to watch a one-to-nothing game. No. I mean, you go to a soccer game. I love soccer. You go to a soccer game. I went to the bathroom. I came back. I missed the one goal the whole game. <laughs> there was a one-nothing game. I missed the whole game. All right, let's talk about Chickies and Pete's. Okay. You're the founder. Yeah. 1977 started yep. as a bar in northeast Philadelphia. It's expanded all over the place. Mm-hmm. Is it really just the crab fries? Not with 86 places, it's not. you got to do a little more than crab fries. But that does carry a lot of weight in a lot of stadiums and amusement parks around the country. So what's the secret then? The secret is affordability, great environment, great sight lines for your TVs for your, to watch your games. Most important, the food. We do... You know, we don't do microwaves. There's no microwaves in our kitchen. Everything's fresh, cooked to order. When you order mussels of chicken, pizza, or clams, they're alive. They're alive. They're not frozen. They're not. They're alive. What, what makes ours so great? What makes them great is they're fresh, and we sell a lot of them. You know, a mussel doesn't sit on a shelf for seven days and stay the same, or a clam, the same thing. 
it's every day it gets worse. You know, it starts to get sick and starts to, you know, die. So the sooner you eat, cook these things, the sooner you make them, the more that you turn over, the fresher and the more tasty they are. So with the crab fries, mm-hmm. to bump off it again, because everyone's just obsessed by okay. them. So, I mean, you're very aggressive in filing trademark infringements. Yeah. And, in, in fact, I remember a story of one restaurant simply had a picture of fries next to a picture of crabs. Yeah. And weren't even calling them crab fries, and you went after them. Well, no, no, they were calling them crab fries, <laughs> but they were doing it with pictures. <laughs> they were putting crab and then fries next to it. That's just, look, come up with your own name. 1977, 1979, actually, probably we first had the crab fries. I put them into commerce. People thought they were fried crab. It took me forever. So I was thinking to myself, I'm going to wind up making these things popular because people love them. Because I made them where, when I developed them, I made it where it doesn't matter. They have, you can't, there's not an option to get plain fries in any of my places or at a stadium. There's not an item that says plain fries slash or crab fries. It just says crab fries. They had to be good enough that they had to stand on their own. And I made them that way. They are good enough that they go by themselves. You can't get plain. Now, if you ask, we'll have it. But it's not on my menu anywhere. So I said, I'm going to teach the world about crab fries. I'm going to develop these things. And I'm not going to give away the name. That's not going to happen. And it really was you were sitting in the kitchen back in the 70s with all this old bay Left over. Well, now, right? now, now we're, we're, we're friends up until then. That word we do not use. Obviously, it's not Old Bay. If it was Old Bay, Matt, everybody would have crab fries, right? <laughs> so there's a secret ingredient. Of, just, there's a secret mix of seasonings. Yeah, that, that's the whole thing. In fact, hers made it, spelled it out for everybody. Hers came to Chicken and Pete's, Ed Her, and said he wanted to sell crab fry chips. He already had Old Bay chips. Now they have them both. It tastes like crab fries, though, right? That's correct. So they have both. They have crab fried chips and they have Old Bay chips. They sell both. I don't want to tell you. We sell more. (laughs) But the thing is, he did, you know, that shows you that they're not the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, are they both reddish in color? Yes. Do those have some salt in them? Yes. Everything else is different. So, yeah, I had developed that sitting around with many different seasonings and experimenting with customers, giving them to them, the same guys every day. I, my customers were all the same every day. Same guys every single day. But you put in the work. I put in the work, and I wasn't about to give that away. So, yeah, I'm going to go. If you try <laughs> When to you say me, that, your eyes are, are like, piercing me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. But, I mean, I've... It shows your passion. Well, they're mine. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're ours. They're Chickie and Pete's. There's, people belong to Chickie and Pete's. I wouldn't, like, all right, for instance, I'll give you a real good story. Okay. Okay, real good story. We love Eagles stories on podcasts. Eagles are in the Super Bowl. So the NFL calls us and says, listen, we'd like to do a food from Philadelphia and a food from Boston. And we want to sell them at the stadium and see who could sell more. Okay, I'm in. What's the food? Crab fries, of course, right? Yeah, crab So they get me, P, from Chicken and Peas and Crab Fries, and they get legal seafood from Boston, which is a very successful company, and they have good food. And they're going to sell their food in the same stands as Chicken and Peas, and we're going to measure it. So I go to the game four hours ahead of time. You're, I'm sure you were probably out there, but I get out there four hours at a time. I go to the game. I know the game is, to me right now, the game's secondary. The real game that I'm in 
is crab fries yeah, against win. against legal seafood. So, listen, I will, in defense of legal seafood, there was some more Eagle fans. But we outbeat them 90 to 1. <laughs> they sold a thing called a clam roll. And it just doesn't even sound right. I mean, like, clam roll, crab fries. I, 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 one sounds a lot more Simpl- tasty. Simplicity is really yeah. part of the whole economic model, right? Absolutely. And, and everybody could like it. Not everybody likes clams. But there is sure. no crab in crab fries. So if you don't <laughs> like crabs, it's fine. So we outsold them. 90 to 1. I was, I was selling them. I was standing there, had them in, in the air so people would see me, see the crap. But where do you buy them? Right here. Where do you buy them here? It, again, defense of the owner of, uh, he didn't show up, the owner of Legal Seafood. So that's on him. I mean, I'm, I'm selling my stuff. Was this in Minnesota? In the last in Minnesota. Super- okay. okay. So at the end, we, we blow them away, and, I, and we win the game. This is, it's probably the best day of my entire life. I had my whole family there, my wife, my three children. We were having the greatest day of our lives. And um, we all, I get a phone call from Minnesota. Can we have them in here for good? We, they were such a big hit. And we got so much Internet feed. People coming, calling us and letting us know about how great it was. Can we? So now, crap fries are in that stadium forever. Now, Minnesota can't be any further from an ocean. That's like Kansas City. We're in Kansas City also. Couldn't be any further from an ocean. And they are they stand on their own. I was on your website and I was reading Pete's tips on being successful. And I should read them myself. <laughs> they're obvious, okay? But in as our discussion with simplicity, sometimes obviousness is hard to do too. I'll just rattle right through them for our listeners. Don't spend money you don't have. Be dedicated. Lead by example. Put the customers first. Obvious stuff. So why is it so hard for people to do that kind of stuff? And why do some restaurants fail? And businesses in general fail? Well, sometimes they need the money. Like, guys go into business and they need the money. You can't really... You have to be able to live below your means. So if you go into a business with a partner or two partners, you both want to take the same amount of money out. So now you have two people trying to live off of one a business that might only support one person. So I think the dedication, like I said, I have a lot going on. It's the Super Bowl. I'm selling fries. I go up to the stand. I tip all the girls 100 Now Here's $100 because they, they, the way they do it in Minnesota is the girls that work there make money to get a percentage of the stand to give to, like, the athletic association where their kids play. So I take care of the athletic association, the girls. We take care of that. I, get, I jump behind the counter. I said, I'm Pete. You know, let's, let's show you how to, how to make these fries and make them better, you know, make them exactly right. And they were, like, so impressed with that. And I'm like, this is what you do. you got to be dedicated. Like, you got to be dedicated. you got to really want to, but it, to win. But in terms of in the beginning, it sounds like, really, it's patience. Is it not? Yeah. When I went into – this is the restaurant revolution now. I mean, there's a restaurant everywhere. Um, when I first went into it, there was nobody – it was just corner bars, like mom and pop places. I went to, that's what I was, a mom and pop place. And I just said, I'm going to serve – I don't want to be in competition with anybody. I'm going to sell food that nobody else sells. You found a niche. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to invent my own product, which is a crap rise, and nobody else has that. So now I'm going to – I don't even – I can't compete because now they can't compete with me because I have my own product. That's why you have to enforce. Yeah, sure. Are we in a restaurant bubble? Because, I mean, I've, I've read a lot about how 
there's you know too many options, like you were alluding to. There's too many food shows. There's not enough hungry people with money and time to go around. There's not enough great cooks who are willing to work. There's not enough skilled, dedicated employees. Are, are we peak restaurant right now? Yeah, you're peak. You're, um, I read, I guess it was in um, restaurant news, that there are if, there's not enough people to fill every seat in the country. So, in other words, there's more seats and more restaurants in the entire country than there are people to sit down at them. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, there's people that will never go to a restaurant they can't afford, whatever. But I'm just tell, telling you, there's more seats than there are people. And it's hard to get a, the staff. You know, it's different today. You know, people, it's hard to get a good, good staff. We're very fortunate because we're Chicken Pete's. People want to work for us. You know, so we get really good people to come to us. We're very fortunate. But hours, you know, you want to have I – I started this business. I was single. You know, my parents were involved, and then I was single for many years. If I wasn't, I don't know how I could have done this. Because you, you, you would either be divorced, you couldn't be married, because you just have to spend so much time in the business. So what's going to happen next with the restaurant industry? Um, I think it's – Attrition? Well, Matt, it's funny um, – it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay, but people might not sit in the restaurants. They might get it delivered. They might get it Ubered. They're, people aren't going to start cooking now. As time went by, I said this is the restaurant revolution, people don't cook anymore. It just doesn't happen. Just When I was a kid, my parents, we went out twice a year. We would go down the shore for a week, and during that week, we would go out to eat twice. That was it. My mother cooked 363 days a year. So the other 363, she was cooking. And while you're on vacation, she cooked five of those seven days. So today, people eat out twice a day. You probably eat out twice a day yourself. I actually like to cook. Really? Believe it or not. So majority of the days, though, you probably put one or two meals out a day. Sure. Lunch and, right? So you're going to be twice twice a day. You're going to eat. I was eating out twice a year. People are eating out twice a day. So I think there's still going to be a need um, for restaurants. There's going to be a lot of restaurants. They just... I just think that, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot more Brussels sprouts in this world. Blue Apron, is that something that threatens the restaurant industry or something that you can incorporate, you know, home delivery meal kits? Uh, well. And there's a number of companies that do it. HelloFresh is another. Uber. Uber Eats. Uber Eats is huge for us. I mean, they do very well. So it's an a, this is an asset for you. Um, it is an asset because people aren't going to come out sometimes. At least we can still get them food. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to help. Um, but to be on Uber Eats, you gotta, people have to have demand for you. They got to know who you are to ask for you. That's part of it. Sure. So the name, big name places, are going to get more Uber Eats calls than the places that nobody ever heard of. You don't know what they're selling. You know. So I, I think that the um, the biggest difficulty is people, not people in your restaurants, people working, and then and then probably people in the restaurant get them to come in. We've already accomplished that with the name Chicken and Pete's because it's so well-known. And it doesn't really matter where we go. By the time we open, there's so much buzz that because of, of the NFL things and this and that, sure. um, that it's, it's, it works out well for us. A couple of political questions. Mm-hmm. Do you support a hike of the minimum wage in Pennsylvania? Um, yeah. The $15 an hour eventually, which is what the governor I will I really didn't think about, think about it, but, you know, they – it's been the same for so long. I don't really. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, with 
a hike, rate, rate, uh, a rate hike, you're going to have to raise prices in your restaurants. So that's what, fine. You know, you can't eat at all. You're going to have to. But, yeah, I think people should make enough money. They can enjoy themselves and, and make some money for their families. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. How about changing the model on how servers are paid rather than on tips, building things into the menu where you know that you're paying for the food and for the tips for the waiters and waitresses? You mean like tip inclusive? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I can't really speak on that too much because I'm not a server. That would be a question for them. But I think that if you're a really good server, if you're a good server and I was a good server, you know, I don't want to sh- – I, I want to make as much as I can. So it, I want to be as nice as I – Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be as great as I can for you, Matt. When you come in, I'll do handstands for you because you're going to give me more money. So I just went to a restaurant last night. You know, I, I tip heavy. They all know who I am. I tip heavy everywhere I go. And they all know who I am. And I get treated well. I just think that that's for the server. They should make as much as they can. They're like, they're not self-employed contractors, but they are, you know, because they can make as much as they want by working as many hours as they want and by working and being as nice as they can. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a question for for them more so. What does it mean to be a Philadelphian? Everything. If you're not a Philadelphia to me, Philadelphian, you're really second class. (laughs) I mean, I was born in Philly. I'm raised in Philly. What, is it, I never, what, is it, what, what are the qualities of, like, a true Philadelphia? Take a loss on the chin. Know that you're going to lose. In Philadelphia, I, I like to tell people, in, in Boston, they, they had a tea party. In Philadelphia, we won the revolution. I believe that blood, that same blood of those people that won the revolution in 1776 is the same makeup of the people that are in Philadelphia. I think that's who we are. And I'm not saying tough guys. I'm just saying we stand up for who we, what we, we believe in. We love our teams. We love our city. You know, cities, they're like villages. Years ago, you, like villages fought other villages. But now we have sport teams, and they're our, our warriors. So we support them fighting the other village, you know, the other team. And that's what Philadelphia is like. I mean, th- people can say anything they want about Philadelphia. They're jealous that we were – we were supporting our team, like the Eagles. We had no wins, no Super Bowls, no rings. And we went out and sold out every single game, sold out other stadiums for years. It's not like this has just happened. It's one of the teams in the NFL. Everyone knows they travel well. They tra- the Raiders are another team. Yeah. And, you know, Oakland's kind of a lot like Philadelphia, kind of scrappy, very collar, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. But think about it. I remember going to a game. My son was like 10, and we were in New York, and he was singing the fight song. And, the, you know, New York guys behind him was like, yeah, get that kid, shut that kid up. I don't want to hear that. We're winning the game. <laughs> and I said, listen, buddy, he's 10 years old. We never won nothing. Zero. And he's out here screaming, singing his heart out, and you want me to shut him up? He goes, yeah, you make a really good point. We got, we got rings. Yeah, you got rings, so shut up already. Let, it, let, it, let us be. We traveled up here to see you guys. We're up here. We're not saying that the Giants stink. We're saying bad words about the We're just singing for our team. And I remember my son was sort of like scared that I was getting in this little bit of confrontation with the guy. And the guys became, became our friends after that. They come down here to eat now. When, they, when the Giants, they, come, they travel to the Giants games here. They still come in you and got eat. got respect. Yeah. Because it's, you stood up for something. Because we're Philadelphians. Because, we're, because other cities that the team stinks, they don't go to the games. 
we go to, we, we love it. You know, and that was part of one of the reasons I bought the Soul. The people that come out to my Soul games, they live the Soul. They, they, they watch Eagles too. Yeah, yeah, but they can't get to the game. They can't get that same in-game experience and scream and cheer and wear their outfits. I mean, they wear the same kind of crazy stuff to the Soul games. So it's, it's great to be a Philadelphia. Pete, thank you for joining us on the True Philadelphia Podcast. Matt O'Donnell, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Our thanks to Pete Shiroki. Also, big thanks to Walkabouts and Cliff Hillis for providing the music to this podcast, recorded in the legendary Hacienda. Our executive producer is Caroline Hayden. Thanks to you so much for lending me your ears. Please subscribe, listen to my previous episodes, and let me know if you have any suggestions for future interviews. That's the True Philadelphia Podcast. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Stay true. Stay true.